Chapter Four of Conan and the Queen of the Black Coast by Robert E. Howard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Four: The Attack from the Air. The shadows were black around him. The dripping jaws gaped wide. Thicker than rain, the red drops fell. But my love was fiercer than death's black spell nor all the iron walls of hell could keep me from his side. The Song of Belit The jungle was a black colossus that locked the ruin-littered glade in ebon arms. The moon had not risen. The stars were flecks of hot amber in a breathless sky that reeked of death. On the pyramid among the fallen towers sat Conan the Cimmerian, like an iron statue, chin propped on massive fists. Out in the black shadows stealthy feet padded and red eyes glimmered. The dead lay as they had fallen, but on the deck of the tigress, on a pyre of broken benches, spear shafts, and leopard skins, lay the queen of the black coast in her last sleep, wrapped in Conan's scarlet cloak. Like a true queen she lay, with her plunder heaped high about her, silks, cloth of gold, silver braid, casks of gems and golden coins, silver ingots, jeweled daggers, and teocalus of gold wedges. But of the plunder of the accursed city only the sullen waters of Zarkheva could tell where Conan had thrown it with a heathen curse. Now he sat grimly on the pyramid, waiting for his unseen foes. The black fury in his soul drove out all fear. What shapes would emerge from the blackness he knew not, nor did he care. He no longer doubted the visions of the black lotus. He understood that while waiting for him in the glade, N'Gora and his comrades had been terror-stricken by the winged monster swooping upon them from the sky, and, fleeing in blind panic, had fallen over the cliff, all except their chief, who had somehow escaped their fate, though not madness. Meanwhile, or immediately after, or perhaps before, the destruction of those on the river bank had been accomplished. Conan did not doubt that the slaughter along the river had been massacre rather than battle. Already unmanned by their superstitious fears, the blacks might well have died without striking a blow in their own defense when attacked by their inhuman foes. Why he had been spared so long, he did not understand, unless the malign entity which ruled the river meant to keep him alive to torture him with grief and fear. All pointed to a human or superhuman intelligence, the breaking of the water-casks to divide the forces, the driving of the blacks over the cliff, and, last and greatest, the grim jest of the crimson necklace knotted like a hangman's noose about Belit's white neck. Having apparently saved the Cimmerian for the choicest victim, and extracted the last ounce of exquisite mental torture, it was likely that the unknown enemy would conclude the drama by sending him after the other victims. 
No smile bent Conan's grim lips at the thought, but his eyes were lit with iron laughter. The moon rose, striking fire from the Cimmerian's horned helmet. No call awoke the echoes, yet suddenly the night grew tense, and the jungle held its breath. Instinctively Conan loosened the great sword in its sheath. The pyramid on which he rested was four-sided, one the side toward the jungle carved in broad steps. In his hand was a Shemite bow such as Belit had taught her pirates to use. A heap of arrows lay at his feet, feathered ends toward him, as he rested on one knee. Something moved in the blackness under the trees. Etched abruptly in the rising moon, Conan saw a darkly blocked-out head and shoulders, brutish in outline, and now from the shadows dark shapes came silently, swiftly running low, twenty great spotted hyenas. Their slavering fangs flashed in the moonlight, their eyes blazed as no true beast's eyes ever blazed. Twenty. Then the spears of the pirates had taken toll of the pack after all. Even as he thought this, Conan drew notch to ear, and at the twang of the string a flame-eyed shadow bounded high and fell writhing. The rest did not falter. On they came, and like a rain of death among them fell the arrows of the Cimmerian, driven with all the force and accuracy of steely thews, backed by a hate hot as the slag heaps of hell. In his berserker fury he did not miss. The air was filled with feathered destruction. The havoc wrought among the onrushing pack was breathtaking. Less than half of them reached the foot of the pyramid. Others dropped upon the broad steps. Glaring down into the blazing eyes, Conan knew these creatures were not beasts. It was not merely in their unnatural size that he sensed a blasphemous difference. They exuded an aura tangible as the black mist rising from a corpse-littered swamp. By what godless alchemy these beings had been brought into existence he could not guess. But he knew he faced diabolism blacker than the well of Skelos. Springing to his feet, he bent his bow powerfully, and drove his last shaft point-blank at a great hairy shape that soared up at his throat. The arrow was a flying beam of moonlight that flashed onward with but a blur in its course, but the were-beast plunged convulsively in mid-air, and crashed headlong, shot through and through. Then the rest were on him in a nightmare rush of blazing eyes and dripping fangs. His fiercely driven sword, sure the first asunder, then the desperate impact of the others, bore him down. He crushed a narrow skull with the pommel of his hilt, feeling the bone splinter and blood and brains gush over his hand. Then, dropping the sword, useless at such deadly close quarters, he caught at the throats of the two horrors which were ripping and tearing at him in silent fury. A foul, acrid scent almost stifled him. His own sweat blinded him. 
Only his mail saved him from being ripped to ribbons in an instant. The next his naked right hand locked on a hairy throat and tore it open. His left hand, missing the throat of the other beast, caught and broke its foreleg. A short yelp, the only cry in that grim battle, and, hideously human-like, burst from the maimed beast. At the sick horror of that cry from a bestial throat, Conan involuntarily relaxed his grip. One, blood gushing from its torn jugular, lunged at him in a last spasm of ferocity, and fastened its fangs on his throat, to fall back dead, even as Conan felt the tearing agony of its grip. The other, springing forward on three legs, was slashing at his belly as a wolf slashes, actually rending the links of his mail. Flinging aside the dying beast, Conan grappled the crippled horror, and with a muscular effort that brought a groan from his blood-flecked lips, he heaved upright, gripping the struggling, tearing fiend in his arms. An instant he reeled off balance, its fetid breath hot on his nostrils, its jaws snapping at his neck. Then he hurled it from him to crash with bone-splintering force down the marble steps. As he reeled on wide-braced legs, sobbing for breath, the jungle and the moon swimming bloodily to his sight, the thrash of bat-wings was loud in his ears. Stooping, he groped for his sword, and, swaying upright, braced his feet drunkenly, and heaved the great blade above his head with both hands, shaking the blood from his eyes as he sought the air above him for his foe. Instead of attack from the air, the pyramid staggered suddenly and awfully beneath his feet. He heard a rumbling crackle, and saw the tall column above him wave like a wand. Stung to galvanize life, he bounded far out. His feet hit a step, halfway down, which rocked beneath him, and his next desperate leap carried him clear. But even as his heels hit the earth, with a shattering crash like a breaking mountain, the pyramid crumbled, the column came thundering down in bursting fragments. For a blind, cataclysmic instant, the sky seemed to rain shards of marble. Then a rubble of shattered stone lay whitely under the moon. Conan stirred, throwing off the splinters that half covered him. A glancing blow had knocked off his helmet and momentarily stunned him. Across his legs lay a great piece of the column pinning him down. He was not sure that his legs were unbroken. His black locks were plastered with sweat. Blood trickled from the wounds in his throat and hands. He hitched up one arm, struggling with the debris that prisoned him. Then something swept down across the stars and struck the sward near him. Twisting about, he saw it. The Winged One. With fearful speed it was rushing upon him, and in that instant Conan had only a confused impression of a gigantic man-like shape hurtling along on bowed and stunted legs of huge, hairy arms, outstretched misshapen black-nailed paws, of a malformed head, in whose broad face the only features recognizable as such were a pair of blood-red eyes. It was a thing neither man 
beast nor devil imbued with characteristics subhuman as well as characteristics superhuman but conan had no time for conscious consecutive thought he threw himself toward his fallen sword and his clawing fingers missed it by inches desperately he grasped the shard which pinned his legs and the veins swelled in his temples as he strove to thrust it off him it gave slowly but he knew that before he could free himself the monster would be upon him and he knew that those black taloned hands were death the headlong rush of the winged one had not wavered it towered over the prostrate cimmerian like a black shadow arms thrown wide a glimmer of white flash between it and its victim in one mad instant she was there a tense white shape vibrant with love fierce as a she-panther's the dazed cimmerian saw between him and the onrushing death her lithe figure shimmering like ivory beneath the moon he saw the blaze of her dark eyes the thick cluster of her burnished hair her bosom heaved her red lips were parted she cried out sharp and ringing at the ring of steel as she thrust at the winged monster's breast bellit screamed conan she flashed a quick glance at him and in her dark eyes he saw her love flaming a naked elemental thing of raw fire and molten lava then she was gone and the cimmerian saw only the winged fiend which had staggered back in unwanted fear arms lifted as if to fend off attack and he knew that belit in truth lay on her pyre on the tigress's deck in his ears rang her passionate cry were i still in death and you fighting for life i would come back from the abyss with a terrible cry he heaved upward hurling the stone aside the winged one came on again and conan sprang to meet it his veins on fire with madness the thews started out like cords on his forearms as he swung his great sword pivoting on his heel with the force of the sweeping arc just above the hips it caught the hurling shape and the knotted legs fell one way the torso another as the blade sheared clear through its hairy body conan stood in the moonlit silence the dripping sword sagging in his hand staring down at the remnants of his enemy the red eyes glared up at him with awful life then glazed and set the great hands knotted spasmodically and stiffened and the oldest race in the world was extinct conan lifted his head mechanically searching for the beast things that had been its slaves and executioners none met his gaze the bodies he saw littering the moon-splashed grass were of men not beasts hawk-faced dark-skinned men naked transfixed by arrows or mangled by sword-strokes and they were crumbling into dust before his eyes why had not the winged master come to the aid of its slaves when he struggled with them had it feared to come within reach of fangs that might turn and rend it 
Craft and caution had lurked in that misshapen skull, but had not availed it in the end. Turning on his heel, the Cimmerian strode down the rotting wharves and stepped aboard the galley. A few strokes of his sword cut her adrift, and he went to the sweephead. The tigress rocked slowly in the sullen water, sliding out sluggishly toward the middle of the river, until the broad current caught her. Conan leaned on the sweep, his somber gaze fixed on the cloak-wrapped shape that lay in state on the pyre, the richness of which was equal to the ransom of an empress. End of chapter 4